uh, as we were talking about this sermon series, and I was so excited because I just think it's really um, encouraging when we get to open the Word of God and we get to talk about how it's changed our life. Amen? Because it really is the only thing that actually changes our life. What does it say in John? It says that the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and Jesus is the Word, right? So there's this thing about we can't, we can't detach the Word of God from who God is. And so we talk about Jesus and Jesus being above everything. What we're actually saying is we're saying his word, his truth, his, his uh, wisdom that we see in here is what's above everything. It's what gives us solutions for everything. It's what gives us the comfort that we need for everything. It's the one that gives us the foundation for everything. And so I was actually really excited about this sermon series until I had to sit down and start figuring out what I was going to talk about. Why? Because I don't know uh, about, I don't know how you narrow down all of the passages that are in here that have actually changed my life. Like everything in here has changed at different moments the trajectory of my life. And, and I think that that's the, that's the beauty of testimony, Right? is that if your last testimony that you have about God's goodness was 40 years ago, then you need to get back into his word and start to get to know him because you should have one from last week. Amen? That who God is should be continually transforming, continually actually changing the trajectory of which way we go. And if it's not, then I wonder if we've fallen into the category of being Pharisees and Sadducees and, and we know of God, but we don't actually know God. See, God's word and who he is should be changing us day to day to look more like him and less like the world. And if we're not in his word, then it becomes really easy for our lives and our belief systems and what we anchor to to become more like the world and say it's God than like God. Anyway, so as I looked through and I thought, okay, what are the big moments, though, right? What are those big moments that I can anchor back to and say, this is who God was and this is what he did through his word and what actually changed who, who I was and changed the trajectory? And, and then I go, okay, do I go all the way back to, you know, the first time I heard John 3.16 as a little kid and you go, oh, God, you actually died for me. You know that moment where you realize that, that you gave your son for, who, for me, not just for everyone else? They actually did it because you cared about me? Or did I go back to the time when I was a young adult um, and life was so overwhelming? You know, I was in such turmoil and had to make really hard decisions. And I remember those moments being curled up on my sister's bathroom floor, just crying heaving, feeling like I can't get up and do tomorrow. Anyone else been there? Really? No one else but me? Okay. Apparently I'm the only one that has hard things in life. Um, right? Those moments, those raw moments where I remember being there and I remember opening the word of God and just like not knowing where else to go and reading in Psalms where David says, 
He says, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face away from me? Why are my enemies overtaking me? And in those moments I said, yeah, God, why? Why are you so far away? Why is today so overwhelming? Why does it feel like I can't go any on anymore? You clearly don't love me. You clearly don't know what you're doing. As I read through Psalms and I feel that vindication in my soul until I got to the last line. Anyone read that chapter in Psalms? You know what the last line says? It says, but I choose to trust in your unfailing love. You know, those moments where you realize that my feelings and how I feel and life will be overwhelming and it will feel like it is crushing you sometimes, but at the end of the day, we have a choice to make. I choose to believe that you see more than I see. I choose to believe that you are good in the midst of how I feel right now. Many of you probably heard me preach on that passage. It's also one of my favorites. You know, there's so many parts in Scripture that have transformed, transformed my life. But this morning I'm going to talk about one, and I wasn't even sure even last night if I had picked the right one until we sat around the campfire at my uh, celebrating my husband and, and with a couple friends and and he's like, you know what, guys, I just have to share a bit about this land and a bit about our journey. And, and he shared about this passage of scripture. And I was like, okay, okay, I think I picked the right one for the season and the time that we're in. I'll tell you the story and then I'll read the scripture and we'll unpack it a little bit. Many of you know our journey where we, um, you know, we came from Manitoba, really feeling like the Lord called us here and bought a coffee shop and we're doing our thing and James got a good job eventually at Tech Kaminko and we had all these teenagers in and out of our house and living with us and feeding them and all of these things and, and the Lord really spoke and said, you know what, James, I think it's time for you to quit this and go into ministry. And um, ministry meant no pay because there was no actual job that he was quitting to go to. So it wasn't like he was quitting for a job. Someone gave him a job offer at a church, and that wasn't what it was. It was, hey, hey, give up all your security and follow me. It's kind of the, like, the crux of the gospel, isn't it? It's amazing, side note, as Christians, how we, we actually have a really hard time doing that, don't we? We have a hard time when God actually asks us to do what his word says it's going to ask us to do. Give up your comfort. Give up your security. Give up what you think you want in order to follow what I am asking you to do. The great part about scripture is it says in the end, it's going to make it worth it. My joy, my peace will be complete. It will be full and you will see me working in your life. You'll see those moments. Anyway, so James came and he shared what the Lord was sharing with him. And my response really because I did not understand this scripture, that's really where it comes from. I didn't understand where we're going this morning. My response was, no, that does not make sense. We have two kids at home and about a bazillion others that we're feeding and taking care of and a mortgage and all the pieces. And we, the coffee shop is clearly losing money because let's be honest, I'm a really bad business owner because I will just give people things for free if they cry at me right? Like, I, I'm not, I, I'm like, no, it's okay. I won't charge you. Like, it's fine. Just eat all my food and drink all my coffee, and I will counsel you all day long. And yeah, you don't make money that way, just in case you didn't know. Um, so it wasn't going great, at least not in the earthly sense of surviving. Um, 
Anyway, so this is our life. And so James comes, I say no, and we go through a rough year. I won't get into that whole year, but basically God really confirmed and had to change my heart um, and, and be like, you are wrong and you need to correct and, and you need to come before me and repent. And, and I had to, I had to repent before my husband and had to repent before the Lord and said, you're right, I was wrong. I, I'm being disobedient. But I didn't actually do it dealing with the heart behind why I was so afraid to walk out what he was asking us to do. Do you know what I mean by that? It was like I knew that God was right, and he confirmed that it was a decision I had to, that we had to make as a family, but I didn't actually go into it with the joy and excitement about what he was going to do. I went into it still with a lot of fear and anxiety and worry about what it was going to look like. See, there's different types of obedience before God. There's the obedience of, I will do what you're asking me to do, but I'm going to sit in turmoil while I'm doing it. Or there's the obedience and the surrender that says, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, and I'm going to truly trust in who you are. And that's where his peace and his joy lands, is in the trusting peace. So we went into this, and we went into this year of really interesting where God worked on my heart quite deeply. I think worked on our family's hearts. James and myself, I'm sure the kids had no idea. They were just happy. They're like, it's fine. There's always teenagers to play with, and I always get fed, so everything's good. Oh, to have the innocence of kids throughout our whole faith, eh? To be able to continue to look at life every day when you wake up and said, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out, but clearly food shows up. There's a roof over my head. There's someone who wants to spend some time with me, so I guess that's all I need. Side note, we talk about those days uh, with our kids, and I think James and I always had a bit of, like, without even knowing it, a bit of this um, weightiness of guilt on our shoulders by making the choices that we made that somehow we deprived our children of things that, that they needed. You know, we didn't have the money for them to be in all of the things we didn't have a good, big, fancy house. Well, God provided that eventually, too. But when they were really little, and trust me, there was 15 people in that house at one point, so we needed that big house. When they were little, we had this old house that had awful flooring. Like, and I, when I say awful flooring, I mean awful flooring. You can ask me later. I'm not going to tell it from here what happened on that flooring before we moved in. It was awful flooring. It was like, and when I say like the kitchen was old, everything was old. It was falling apart. We had this house, the kids shared a bedroom, we had like 15 teenagers sleeping between the family room and the living room, and like, it was, it was full, it wasn't very big. And we worried, and we had this guilt about our kids, and whether or not they were missing out on something, until like, even, it was a few years, a few months ago, it wasn't that long ago, we sat and we're having, reminiscing, I think it was in July when we were traveling together, reminiscing and Paige, as you guys know, is off, graduated and off to college, and we sat and we talked about their childhood, and <clears throat> I think we, excuse me, we talked a bit about that, that weightiness that we felt about, like, their childhood, and it was interesting to hear their perspective, and they're like, we loved our childhood. They're like, we, like, we had people who wanted to play with us all the time, whether or not they actually wanted to or they just felt forced into it, I'm not sure. But in the kids' perspective, 
They're like, we had people that loved us. We had people that cared enough to drop food off to us. We had this like community where we got to go and hang out at the church all the time, and there was always someone to play with us. There was always new toys. There was always new people. It was like, they talked about it as this great, amazing childhood. And here we are sitting with the weight of the world on our shoulders. Why? Because we had aligned our needs and what we thought they needed with the world's instead of God's. It's amazing when we give our kids what God actually says that they need, how at the end of the day they turn out a little bit different than we think when we try to give them what the world says they need. Anyways, we're in this season, and it was rough. James shares from his perspective, he, uh, we had, I think, about, I think there was, if I remember, 37 of them at our house. Sleeping in my house, no joke, teenagers. Okay? It's a Saturday night. We had this routine where they would stay over on a Saturday night. I saw Daryl this morning. Is Daryl here? I saw him somewhere. Anyways, oh, there's Daryl. See Daryl at the back? Wave, Daryl. Daryl was one of them. Um, you know, he's, they, we had all these teenagers sitting there, and they're, they're, they're waiting, and they would sleep at our house on Saturday nights, and then we'd get up, and we would pile them into vehicles, and we'd drive them all to church, because I figured if they stayed at our house on Saturday nights, the deal was, I will feed you, but you have to go to church. So I forced them into religion. Um, I know that's kind of against things, but most of them are still following Jesus, so you know it worked. Um, I'm just kidding. Don't force people into, anyways. Uh, so they're all there. They're all asleep. James drops them all off. We have this big van, 15-passenger van from the church, and I've like literally squished, squished like double the amount of people in all the time. I'm sure we would have got fired or arrested if it was today, but it wasn't. It was a long time ago, and they didn't care back then. Um, <laughs> but now we care about everything. Um, <sighs> do your plan to protect. I'm pretty sure that like if plan to protect was a thing, we would have been fired the first day. Uh, it's from the job that they weren't paying us to do. So it's all good. So there's all these kids, and they're sleeping all over the place, right? James drops them all off, and he gets in the van, and he's like, I got to go. I'm like, fine, I'm tired, whatever. I put the kids to bed, and I'm sleeping in our room, and which, by the way, was never a great sleep because, you know, I have two children in, my, in their bedroom and then our bedroom and then a whole bunch of teenagers all around there. So my job as a mom is to, like, sleep with one eye open and be like, no one is, like, getting into my girl's room and staying where they need to stay and no one's destroying the house and whatever, which apparently didn't work very well because we actually heard that, I won't say who, but a few of them went joyriding in the van one night without a license and we didn't know until 10 years later. So <laughs> it's fine. The one that instigated is now a pastor here. You can guess which one. <laughs> it wasn't James. And he's not here this morning. So now you can really probably put... Anyways. So James drops us off, and he's, he's off, and he's like, I got to go. I'm like, okay, so I didn't hear this until uh, last summer. Didn't hear the other part of the story. He gets in the van. He goes and drives up to this property up in Fairview. He drives up and he sits on this, out, this lookout and he cries out to the Lord. He's like, God, you asked me to do this. I am being obedient to what you asked me to do and I don't know what I'm feeding everyone in the morning. I don't know how our bills that are due on Monday are getting paid. We have no money. 
we have nothing. And he cries out to the Lord and he says, you asked me to do this. It is your job to show up. And of course, you know, he has a good cry and I shouldn't say that, you know, James never cries. <laughs> it's one of my most favorite things about him actually is that he's just him and he, he, has this, he has this rawness which challenges everyone around him to be honest with the Lord and honest with the people around him. And so he wrestles with God and he comes back home and, and you know what we fed the kids the next morning? He said last night as he shared this story, he's like, I, I actually believed that maybe, you know, I actually thought that maybe God would show up, you know, with the milk truck that falls. You hear the stories, right, of the orphanage and the milk truck falls over and then all of a sudden the milk's going to spoil so they give it all to the orphanage and all the bread shows up. And so he's like, I just th- thought that all this stuff was going to show up the next morning and, you know, it didn't. We made... He made pancakes with protein powder, fishy crackers, and what else was in there? A little bit of pancake mix, some water. They're teen boys. They didn't care. (laughs) They'd eat whatever you put in front of them. But we came home from church that day. There was an envelope sitting on our counter, and it had this verse written on a piece of paper inside the envelope. It was Matthew 6, 25 to 34. That's where we're going this morning. And on the paper, it said, Jehovah Jireh. You know what it means? It means God, my provider. And in there was thousands of dollars of cash. It paid every bill we needed that month to the T. Not extra. We didn't have cable. We didn't have Netflix. It wasn't a thing. We didn't have enough to go for dinner. We didn't have, but we had enough to pay every bill we needed that month and enough to feed everyone. That is when I had to wrestle with being obedient with the Lord in action, but in heart posture and surrender as well. That led into, I won't get into all the details, a whole year, okay, a whole year of us going through this, not knowing how we're going to pay our bills every month, and every month, different envelopes with different writing, different amounts would show up that paid our bills on the dot every single month without a doubt, for a full year, until life changed and we got, the church had hired us on and part-time, and uh, James got a job working with at-risk teen boys part-time, and, and it was still tight, but God was so faithful. And in that year, I had to wrestle with this passage and what it actually means. So let's read through it and unpack it this morning, and then I'll give you the beautiful ending to that story. You ready? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one more moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildfires of the field grow. They don't labor or spin or thread. Yet I tell you that, you not, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. 
So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's start at the end. Here's why I want to start at the end of the passage, because this passage of Scripture I heard so many times in churches that when I sat there and felt anxious and felt worried about what my life looked like, I felt like I was sinning. Right? Because what you hear, what I heard at least growing up was, don't worry, don't be anxious, and if you do, you clearly don't know God. But if you actually go to the end, what does it say? It says, therefore, don't worry about what? Don't worry about... Come on, guys. Don't worry about... Good. Don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God's actually recognizing this pasture, and Jesus is saying, you know what? Today, today has enough to worry about. Stop thinking about tomorrow. There's some, there was something very comforting in realizing that and reading that, is that, okay, so if I'm feeling a little overwhelmed today, I'm not actually sinning. That it's okay, that there's this understanding that, that sometimes life is overwhelming. That sometimes... It's going to feel like I don't know what it's going to look like. See, yes, we need to look at the rest of the passage, which we're going to do, but I wanted to start here of saying there's this piece where he's saying, I know you're going to be worried about today because there's things to worry about today, and you know what? I'm going to give you some tools on how to work through that piece for today, but let's make sure that you know that let's deal with today and not 10 years from now. Because how often do we get consumed with our anxiety and our worry? You look at it, you look at the statistics that are happening in the world, and people are consumed with anxiety and worry. And a lot of it is because we're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. There's a lot out there to be worried about. If you look at the whole picture of tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, and what he's saying is he's saying, yes, plan. There's a lot in scripture that talks about planning for the future that actually says, God, give me your wisdom to know what to do next. But make sure that you're not so overwhelmed by looking at tomorrow and the next day that you become crippled today. The rest of the passage talks about this idea of this, this, this conflicting view that when you look through the world's lens, you have a lot to be anxious for and worry about. And when you look through God's lens, we shouldn't be as much, right? Because let's look at this. Let's say, okay, it says, look at the birds of the air. What do they do? It says they don't toil and worry about what they're going to eat and where it's going to come from. But you know what else I see about birds? I don't see birds just sitting on a tree branch all day long, do you? See, God's not saying, hey, don't get up and actually go work. Go do something. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying sit on your couch at home and make sure you're comfortable and I'll just bring you food. It's actually not what he's saying. 
We have these birds. Um, I think they're sparrows. Are they sparrows that my dad's always fighting? Which kind of birds are they? Swallows. They're swallows. Okay? We have these swallows. And my parents live in our basement suite, and there's like an overhang from our deck. And there's the rafters that are like in the overhang. And these swallows are constantly trying to build nests on the rafters. And my dad is constantly hitting them out because they make a mess. Right? He's hitting all the nests out. And the next morning he comes up and there's another nest started. And then he's hitting it out and he cleans it up. And he, he gets really frustrated by this. He's like, come on. Why? Because a bird knows that it needs somewhere to rest. Right? A bird knows that he needs a home to lay his eggs, to reproduce, to do all these things. So a bird is going to work every day towards what he needs to have in order to, be sustained him, to sustain himself. See, God, God is not saying, hey, don't work. Don't worry about you know, uh, anything in the sense of just sit at home and I will just give you everything. No, he's saying, I've given you hands and feet. The scripture talks a lot about that, about being idle, sitting and doing nothing. Nothing good comes from that. Trust me, teenage boys in my home, I promise you, we put them to work a lot. Otherwise, my home would be destroyed. There's this piece of working. They have to go find their food. They have to find their worms. They have to do all that. What it's saying is, though, is that they're not storing up for tomorrow. They're not so consumed with making sure that they have enough in order to provide for themselves in six months from now and a year from now and all of that. They're worrying about today and what they have to do today. Then that's where this lightness comes in. The other piece, they're talking about the fields of the, uh, the, the flowers in the fields. What does it say? It says that Solomon in all of his splendor was not adorned with something that is even as beautiful. But have you ever looked at a, a field of wildflowers? Not the ones we plant in our backyard that are all nicely clumped together and you know, we make sure that they look like bouquets and, and we put our human perspective on the beauty that flowers hold and we collect them and we make these beautiful bouquets that we put on our tables. No, he's saying, look at the wildflower in the field. Look at it kind of chaos, isn't it? It's like a little bit of flowers here and a little bit of flowers here, and they're mixed in with different colors and all that. But when you look really closely, you see this beauty in them. They're so intricate and different. Every flower is unique. Every type of flower is unique. I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying you get so consumed with vanity of what the world thinks is beauty that you're missing the beauty that I actually put in you. And maybe that part of the chapter resonates with me because I was raising two girls, and you're trying to instill in them the beauty that they need to care about, the beauty that God cares about. And sometimes I think as human beings, our worry and our anxiety comes from trying to make sure that we hit standards of the world instead of hitting standards of the Lord. Amen? Come on, guys. Sometimes our anxiety and worry is because we're trying to hit standards of the world instead of hitting standards of the Lord. Amen? Amen? If we could align what our needs are, if we could align what beauty looks like, if we could align what we need to have with what the Lord says is important, I wonder how many of our worries and our anxieties would actually change. And it was a season for that for us. 
You know, I go back to that, and I had to wrestle with the security that I thought I needed to produce for myself. Now, don't get me wrong. If we were being disobedient to the Lord, if we were just deciding, hey, you know what? We don't really feel like working. We just want to sit back and see if God will just give us food. If we had made a decision that, you know what? This is just a little too hard, so I don't think we're going to do it anymore. It probably would have been a different outcome. But God was clear, and we were being obedient So at the end of the day, if God is clear and you're being obedient, then we don't have to worry. Now, don't get me wrong, and I want to be really careful because I believe that anxiety is a real thing, that worry is a real thing that we deal with in our society. And I believe that sometimes you need to talk to your doctor and your doctor needs to help you walk through that. I think that some of these things are so ingrained in us from when we were little children that it changes who we are, and it actually changes our physical beings, and that is not something that just goes away because we read the word of the Lord. Why? Because the word says that we are body, body, mind, and spirit, right? Our physical and what we do to our physical and what our physical is experiencing throughout our life actually can have impact for the rest of our lives. And God can choose to come in and heal that, absolutely. But just like a broken bone, if he doesn't, then sometimes you need to put a cast on it and give it time to heal. But there's two other pieces to worry and anxiety that I think we neglect in our culture, and that is that there is the spiritual and the mind, and those two matter that we need to be in the word, that we need to be on our faces before the Lord, because when you're in God's presence, it becomes harder for the enemy to gain ground. Amen? We spend too much time not in God's presence. And I'm not saying that we remove ourselves from culture and never engage. No, I'm not saying that at all. But when we become aware that God's presence comes with us, and that no matter what room we're in, that we have him with us, and we become aware of that, That only changes our posture, but it changes the rooms we're in. Amen? And the mind. A lot of this battle is in the mind. What you feed is what will grow. My practice, and everyone's everyone's is different, was this. In many battles in my world, from all the way back to having to rebuild my identity, from damage that was done, to the battle of trying to be obedient to what the Lord was asking us to do. Every battle came with a battle of the mind, of knowing God's word and proclaiming it when the enemy tried to tell me something different. The best weapon we have is this. Amen? The best weapon we have. And when we know what God says, then when the enemy says something and he says, you need to worry because you have no food in your fridge and tomorrow's coming. What I can, first of all, I have to say is, God, am I being obedient? Is there something in my life that's limiting what you are doing? Okay, good. No, that's not there. Then you know what? The enemy has no foothold. Because God says that he will provide. You know, when the enemy says, you are not good enough, you have no purpose, you have no plan, who are you to think that you have something to say? You know what I can say to say that God says that he knew me before I was in my mother's womb, that he has a plan for me, that he has a purpose for my life. See, the battle of the mind controlling our thoughts, the word actually says that, right? It says, take every, cat, every thought 
Take every thought captive is what the word says. Every thought that is actually on us. He's not saying God's going to do that for us. He says you need to take every thought captive. I have given you the tool. I've given you the weapon to fight back. But it is your choice to pick it up and use it. See, a sword does no good laying on the ground. You can go into battle and you can have the sword in its sheath. Is that what it's called? Sheath? Yeah, something like that. Um, You know, on your side. Or you can have it on the ground. And you know what? It's not going to help you a whole lot, is it? You have to pick it up and you have to use it. The Bible is our sword to combat, to fight these things. I'm going to call the worship team up. I'll finish that story. You remember the story of like James up on the mountain, he comes home and we go through this year of God slowly showing us what we are to do. God gave us a vision right when we first got married actually, so probably pretty close to 20 years ago. He gave us a vision to have a property, to have a space where people can come and heal, know who he is, but be in his creation and be healed. Some kind of retreat center, it's, it's morphed over the years of what maybe it's going to look like, but the purpose of it was always the same. And the list of things that that property was supposed to have was pretty extensive. And James wrote it down in one of his journals. We've tried over the years to look at property, and, you know, we put offers in, and it didn't work, and it fell through, and, you know, we sat on it. It was like, but God, like, we, we know you said this, and, and it seems so clear, and you've showed up in all these other areas, and I don't know what to do with this. And, and we often felt discouraged when it seemed like, we th- seemed like maybe this was the time. And then out of the blue last summer, all of a sudden we just, our realtor was like, hey, there's this chunk of land. Why don't you come look at it? So we go and look at that land, and I don't know, within like two weeks, we had put an offer on it, it was accepted, and we had bought this chunk of just over, just under 40 acres, just outside of town, with everything on that checklist. We don't know what the next season's going to look like, but people have already gone up there when they're overwhelmed. We said, go up and sit on our land and just be in God's creation. Cry out to him. Be present with him. And people have found tremendous connection with the Lord and healing already, and it's only been a year, and we have nothing on the property yet. But here's the cool part of that story. In that moment where James was crying out to the Lord, you know what overlook he was sitting on? The overlook on that land. A good 10 years before, God, James surrendered everything in our lives to God sitting before him saying take everything like I've given you everything God and I don't know what you're doing but I'm going to continue to be obedient I'm going to continue to be obedient even if I don't see even if I don't see the end of the story yet I know you are working as we sat around the campfire and got to share that story last night and you know I think James and I many times are just like, God, you're so good. See, we could have worried about the future. We could have worried about the next thing, but we actually had to take a moment and say, God, I will not worry about tomorrow's troubles and what you're doing tomorrow. I'll be obedient today. 
I'm going to come to you with my troubles, with my pain, and with my sorrow today, believing that you are big enough to carry it, that you are big enough to transform it. And I don't know what the end will look like, but I know that you are good. And I still don't know what the next 5, 10 years, 15 years, I promise you that today does not look like what I thought it would. But what I do know is that God is good and worthy of our trust. Worthy of our surrender. And when we align ourselves to what he says we need, what he says it should look like, and not what the world says, all of a sudden, the possibilities are endless. I love the last song that we sang before I came up. It actually says that, right? I speak Jesus over everything, over my anxiety, over my family, over the world, over all my fear, over everything. I speak Jesus. What it's saying is I speak his word. I speak his truth over it all. And if I don't anchor my life to this, then you're right. Worry and anxiety is going to overwhelm you because the world is overwhelming. Let me pray for you and then we're going to stand and we're going to worship one more time. I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I don't know what worries and anxieties you have that you are carrying into this place. But I'm here to speak hope that God will give you, he will sustain you for what you need today. Don't expect that it'll be for the next 10 years, but what I'll promise you is it'll give you what you need for today. God, I just thank you for your church. I thank you for children that you love so deeply. God, I pray that you will, that you will speak into their worries, their weight for today. God, I pray that we would do our part to get up and go and find our food and build our houses and do what we need to do. It says, go and do your part. But God, I pray that we would do it lockstep with you. God, that we would be aware that your beauty and your direction sometimes don't align up, most of the time don't align up with what culture will say those things should be. And God, I pray that you would align our hearts to yours. We, I repent on behalf of us corporately when we have decided and we have gone against what you say the direction is. God, I'm sorry that we often, we often spend our time and our money and our resources on the excess and not the things that have eternal purpose. God, I pray that you would help us keep our eyes fixated on the eternal and on you. God, would you just bring comfort and healing today into people's lives? Breakthrough into their situations. Would you give hope even if nothing changes? Would you restore hope for the future? God, I pray for those that have come into this place with overshadowing depression and hopelessness that you would break that today. 
that your presence would fall on them and restore hope. That you would break the enemy's power over your kids today. We are believed that you are capable. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your goodness. In your name, amen.